Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Harini Gokal, Chief Customer Officer at AWS. In this episode, we talked about the challenges of building and scaling customer success teams at companies like Amazon and Microsoft, and how they bake their customers' customer perspectives into their work to deliver true value for their customers. We also discussed the importance of being proactive and knowing what your customers might be wanting next, the characteristics and traits Harini looks for when hiring for customer success, and why she invites different department colleagues to be part of the hiring process. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. These, these you don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Harini, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure for the listeners. Harini is a global business leader driving cloud transformation and growth. In her 20 plus years at Microsoft and Amazon Web Services, she has built, grown, and scaled cloud businesses to accelerate the digital transformation journey for Fortune 500 customers. She's a thought leader in customer success with experience leading customer success for enterprise, ISVs, and startups. At AWS, she currently operates as chief customer officer for a multi-billion dollar profit and loss portfolio uh, that includes the most innovative and hyper-growth startups and platform solutions. Her global experience spans India, Europe, and the United States, and Hirini is a strategic leader recognized for big thinking, making complex business decisions, and enabling scale. Hirini is also a venture investor and a strategic advisor to late-stage B2B startups. Her investments include Flying Fish Partners and Pioneer Square Labs. She's also an elected council member for the city of Medina, WA, and is on the board of the Washington Technology Industry Association. So very special guest today on the show, uh, everyone. And my first question for you then, Harini, is what has been your biggest challenge you've found building and scaling customer success at such scale, such as Amazon and Microsoft? Thank you, Andrew. I think it's a great question to kick us off. There are multiple challenges as we've evolved the customer success muscle over the past five plus years, where it's gone from being this more reactive, let me come to you when I have a problem function to how do I get a seat at the table and be part of growth conversations and help shape what good looks like function. And so the journey there has had its inflection points. And I would call out 
three. The first one I would say is being proactive and being able to work backwards from what value means to our customers has been one key thing for us to figure out and get really good at, right? And I say this often, which is define value as um, your customer defines it. And even better, define it as your customer's customer defines it. Very often, we tend to have our own definitions of value. And I think moving past that and working backwards from what our customers want has been one of the key levers and inflection points we've worked through. The second part is to be proactive and and think about once what that value is, think around the corner about what our customers are looking to do, right? If they are using a service today or if they're in a use case today, what is the next best thing? What are they looking to do going forward? What's happening in their scenarios that we can anticipate um, and be proactive about, I think has been the second thing. And that's, that's a combination of art and science, right? There's data, there's telemetry that helps you with this, but there's also having the right person in place to help you make those decisions and guide you. And that is my third thing. It's about having the right customer solution person, the right customer success hire. And I would say talent is probably one of the things I've disproportionately focused on in as we've built businesses at scale. You need the right talent that will work to be a a trusted advisor for your customer who can build a relationship with your customer and help bring the right people to deliver solutions. So oftentimes we're looking for a unicorn, right? This pink unicorn that doesn't exist, but shaping that role and building that talent has probably been um, the most fulfilling part of this. It's super interesting things there. I want to unpack all of them, actually. The the first thing, definitely, like I agree with you, and this is something as well we hear a lot about on the show, is that this transformation of customer success and initially really trying to fight for a seat at the table and almost being seen as this cost center where today now becoming more of a strategic partner. And I, I would say it's only recently, like you said, five years. Like I'm noticing now, even like the show has been going for about two and a bit years when I started the show, it wasn't as prevalent as it is today, like speaking to different CS leaders. And now like, it's really seems like it's an inflection point where more and more companies are taking customer success serious, more and more companies realizing they need a strong seat at the table and they need to be their customer strategic partners. But I really love the point about the proactive nature and more so what you mentioned about measuring value, because often even on this show, we talk about measuring value of what is the value your customers come to extract. But I don't think we've ever discussed, like they come to you to get value, but what is your customer's customer's value that they're expecting? Mm -hmm. And I can see that in the case of uh, like Microsoft and obviously AWS and the services that you deliver because one, okay, your customer is coming to get a a place to host their website or to host their Apple products, but their customers are looking for a place that's going to have a fast app that they can access their product or service. And there are services that you deliver through that transaction that actually transcend onto that end uh, user. Very interesting, like, how did you come to that? What was the realization? What were some of the things like the team was looking into? And Yeah, it's it's a great question. And you're right. This is a journey, right? We've evolved this muscle. I remember five years ago when we were starting this work at Microsoft, LinkedIn had maybe 300 job openings for 
the broad customer success category, and it was often support, experience, it was this kitchen sink. And now I think you have 30,000 plus, right? It's become this, it's this very significant real role that's often C-level now, which I'm very excited about. But to the point on value, and I think a lot of this growth is because we have put a fine point on value and being able to not just talk the talk, but walk the talk in delivering value, right? So helping our customers realize value. And so to your question there, when I think about how we work with our customers and I work with my customers, right? I don't go in with this um, laundry list of actions for a customer, right? I don't have a checklist or a formula for customer success. My job is to listen and to listen well and listen actively. And the thing, Andrew, you and you know this, which is as you have these conversations, each one of my customers cares about making sure that they are distinguishing and themselves and delivering value with their customers. This is a crowded marketplace if you're in the space we are in today. And our customers have a lot of options. And because of the move to the SaaS model, the as a subservice business model, the dynamic between the company and the customer has changed. Where stickiness, where and you know your podcast is all about churn. This it's more than I think. Customers understand what value is, and they will go to the provider where they get that value. So my job was then sitting with our B two B customers is to say, what does good look like for you? Not just today, right? Near term, you may have challenges, right? There may be product experience challenges. There may be friction in onboarding. But long-term, and I have this framework that I'll talk about in a few minutes, but long-term, what does good look like for you? And each one of them said pretty much the same thing. I want to make sure that my customer gets more value from my product, uses my services more than anybody else in the marketplace. So what does that mean? If you took take the example of, of a food delivery company, right? COVID's really accelerated that business. We've all become DoorDash, Instacart, Swiggy customers, um, even if we were not before. And so what each one of these customers care about is, can my customer be able to look for menu options and navigate my site milliseconds faster than they can on another site. And where we can provide them the building blocks to help build those solutions that help differentiate them in the marketplace, that is what value looks like for that customer. To your question of how we had the discussions, it was it was sitting down with the leadership. It was sitting down with the people talking about what good looked like for them long-term, working backwards from there to say, if you want to be milliseconds faster, what can we bring to bear for you to help make that solution happen? And then the second decision often customers have to make is where do they spend their? We have X talent, we have X engineering talent. Where do you want to use that time? Do you want to use that time with front-end product piece? Do you want to use that time with infrastructure? So there's some trade-offs that customers make, but that is how we get to making sure that our customer's customer perspective is baked into all the work we do. Yeah, I love that. And uh, just sitting down, like you say, actively listening and just seeing what does the future look like. While you were talking as well, I went in this like sort of rabbit hole in my mind and I was thinking, if you're thinking about your customer's customer, the customer's thinking about their customer's customer, keep going deep down, but definitely see huge value in, in this and something I'm going to start to think about a little bit more as well, uh, going into to my own company. The other thing I'll you mentioned- One more thing, Andrew, one more thing to round it off, which is 
lately we have found that there is not just one customer's customer, right? Many of our customers have a large, have other VC firms, PE firms, and all of those influence the direction that a customer is going. So how do we bake all of that into our thinking? It can be quite the cast of characters, but I can assure you that it guarantees good results. The cast of characters, for sure, coming from the different perspectives and pulling in different directions. The next thing you mentioned that I found as well, like very interesting, we've definitely talked a little about on the show, but was the notion of being proactive for the future again, in the sense that like your customers come to you today to hire for a job today. That doesn't necessarily mean they have the same problems and the same jobs that they need to be done a year from today. And just having a little bit of foresight to see, okay, once they come to us and they've solved what they need to do with, with our product, like what can we doing, be doing for them next? How can we be delivering more value? I think this is an excellent way like to be proactive when it comes to churn and retention is really like keeping that mindset that obviously things change, the market moves, your customers change with it, their domain expertise change. So how do you advise that companies start to think about implementing this sort of proactive nature where they're thinking about what their customers might be wanting next? Yeah, I I think it's absolutely a journey that many of us are on. The first thing I'll say is like most journeys, there are milestones and phases. So I think of it as a crawl, walk, run. You want to start with the end in mind, which is you want to be a partner. I, as a customer success leader, want to be a trusted advisor and a partner to my customer. That's my net goal and help them fulfill their goals that we've just talked about. But if I work backwards, I think there are at least sort of three buckets of things that we can think through. One is just product adoption, which to me is crawl, right? Which is the crawl phase of it. The the basic and the foundation is being so integrated with our product teams, with our sales teams to make sure that we understand what the use case for our services, what people are using it for, what are they not using it for, what are the gaps? So I think there's a body of understanding and expertise around product adoption that we need to build. Next, use that to then think about what is the extent extension of a use case? What are the other services that this will enable? And that starts to think about both growth as well as retention. To me, they are two parts of the same coin, right? When a customer keeps growing on you, keeps finding value in what you bring to the table, that is it instinctively and intuitively makes the case for more retention. And the way we do that is by expanding the conversation to think about the long-term goals, to think about what events are happening in a customer's life. As an example, many of our startups, many startups across the globe are seeing unprecedented amounts of capital come their way. It's forcing or helping them accelerate their equity events. And so as, as a startup goes through their equity events and thinks about what building blocks I need in place post-IPO, those are things we can advise upon. And that, of course, leads to helping expand use cases, helping grow and, and retain the customer, but you're really doing it with their end in mind. Very nice. Yeah, I think it's good thinking about the different phases and stages and sophistication uh, of your customer and treating it that as that when you're going into the customer success practice and thinking about, okay, 
what strategies are we going to be working on with customers at each stage through the life cycle and as they continue to grow. And definitely to your point as well, and I think we chatted a little bit about this before the show, but really seeing then customer success as a center for growth as opposed to the center that becomes like a cost center where some of the older thinkers, I think, still see it as like a place where they just throw a bunch of money and they don't see anything come out at the end of the day. But really the more sophisticated companies are seeing it as like this growth center where they can actually expand accounts through it. And when you do that, I think it leads you to, to, you know, the question you were asking, right? What does proactive orchestration look like? When you think of it not as a sales center or a cost center, but think of it as a growth revenue center, you're not going to let your customers stumble around, hope they get value from your product, help them figure it out. You are going to be more proactive in providing them a high-touch onboarding, self-service or not training, professional services, working with them at all levels of their leadership to make sure you understand where they're going. And so I I think that switch, that reactive to proactive and the cost center to uh, revenue growth center really has helped change who we hire and how we engage with the customer. It's made sure that I'm not at a place where I have to wait for somebody to churn or wait for somebody to be dissatisfied before I react. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes so much sense to today, but I, I still like for me in, in my mind, it's troubling to see like how companies didn't see this sooner that if you invest in the success of your customers, uh, it's going to lead to your success. And I think so often they're not as well, specifically in like hyper growth startups, like churn and retention, like maybe two, three years ago was not something that was like top of mind when you had this hyper growth. And still even today, there are companies that are falling into this trap where they're not thinking about it early enough. And then at some point they hit a growth ceiling and it's like the the lights go on and the sirens like we need to fix this. And then sometimes even too late where we hear some of these amazing stories that just crash and burn billion dollar valuations and then uh, next day worthless. I agree. People often ask, what is the right time to think about customer success? Like, when do I think about this team? And you're like, day zero, day one, start now, start somewhere, right? Because you want that baked in and you may determine it stays with my product teams when I start, moves to my sales teams later. All that can happen, but start baking it into your DNA from day one. And this is a good segue to your last point that you made from the first three, which was like, you spent a lot of time building teams when it comes to customer success and also trying to understand what makes a good profile. And I'm interested from your perspective, like after having done, I can't even imagine how many interviews and being involved in processes with candidates, like what are some of the characteristics and traits you're looking for when you're looking for a a customer success rep to join? It is a timely and good question uh, because we are always hiring. What I will say is my favorite, I'll start with my favorite book because I think that's the key to everything else. Do you, there's an author called David Epstein and he has a book called Range. And I recommend that if you like customer success, if you think you want to be a customer advocate and have a, not just survive in the career, but thrive as a customer success leader, read Range and see if you can live that life. Because really what a, cust- a successful customer success a practitioner or a leader needs is range. The ability to deal with ambiguity, the ability to deal with new and different things and still not be phased by it. So I think there are some, when you hire your 
tangibles and tangibles, Andrew, right? Uh, there are some tangibles that are functional basics for the role. One common level uh, that I area of debate is the level of technical or domain knowledge that you require for a successful CSM. I've gone back and forth on it. I think we need to continue having credibility and a seat at the table in, in driving customer value. We need to have a degree of technical competence. What that competence looks like and how it gets defined by certification or otherwise is up for debate. But I think I would recommend that if you want a successful career in CS, invest in your technical competence and credibility. That's going to set you apart from everybody else. The second thing besides that, to me, those are all intangibles. The role is evolving every day. If you were, if you are a new customer success practitioner, this you should be beyond excited that you're on this rocket ship, right? We This will continue to be one of the three key roles for a business in the next 15, 20 years. And I'm, I am excited that uh, we get to play a part in shaping this role. So the intangibles are important here, right? Aptitude, the aptitude to deal with ambiguity, the aptitude to disagree and commit, right? You are often managing a cast of characters, many stakeholders. How do you always keep the customer's perspective in mind? How do you disagree and commit to make sure you're doing the right things for the customer? How do you earn trust? That's key for a customer to let you into their organization, share their roadmaps with you, talk about their ambitions and goals. That requires an enormous degree of trust. How are you earning the trust? So to me, these, and then how are you thinking big? That's the last thing I'll end with, which is you have to think beyond the escalation or the conversation you're having, the use case that a customer is working on. How do you think big? Think uh, the art of the possible is key for a customer success practitioner or a leader. Those are what I hire for. Technical competence and an aptitude to be deep technically and then the intangibles, which to me are key principles of success for a customer success leader. That's super interesting. And I think obviously the tangibles, very easy to measure, very easy to see. The intangibles, I think like some of those skills and like that they need to have in order to be successful in this role are not so easy uh, to measure. And I think even just from a standard interview are very uh, quite hard to tell. So like, how are you going about the hiring process to discover if the candidate has these intangibles that you're looking for? You're right that it is hard um, to know. And that's why it's so important to look for. Uh, the hard things are the important ones. And the way, so it's never the hiring process for me personally and for the companies I've worked with are multi-faced and multifaceted, right? It is not a one-person decision on is this a good CSM to hire or not. Decisions are made by getting a multiple different perspectives at multiple different stages. So we have a very stringent screening criteria at the start that speaks to the functional capability. Once the functional bar is met, then it is about the cultural bar and understanding these intangibles. And all the interviews I do, I invite many of my colleagues who will partner with me in customer success to be part of the interview. Role, again, if this person gets hired, he, she, or, he, she, or they will not only work with my team and with me, but they will work with all of these stakeholders and they need to be considered part of their teams. So we make sure that we invite multiple different perspectives in who, who walk through some of these intangibles. We look for experiences. And finally, we don't leave it up to chance. I mecha Mechanisms are very important. Customer success is a non-linear conversation, Andrew, which means that 
it's not just about adding more headcount, it's about scaling. And the way to scale is by having approaches and what we call mechanisms that help you scale what you want uh, consistently. So it's by having visioning mechanisms. It's by having mechanisms to have to make decisions. It's by having mechanisms to communicate your perspective. So you're not leaving it up to an individual only. Makes a lot of sense. And I think obviously like the companies that you worked at, there's multi-stages, like uh, testing for different things. And along the way, having different perspectives and different roles coming into those interviews or working with those people will really allow you to get an advantage point. I think that you just don't get in a traditional environment where uh, one or two interviews and then you get off, made an offer. You don't need to be a multi-billion dollar company to do this. Maybe. Even if you are a customer success leader sitting where you are, make sure that your product and engineering team and your sales team are part of your interview loop. It's as simple as inviting them because we talk about customer success being a great partner with product and sales. How do you walk that talk? You could do that right at the start when you hire your teams and and you're earning trust with them and building that relationship. I love that. And it's also immediately once that person has the job, they already know somebody in product and engineering and they can really start to form those relationships. So instead of just being like on the other side of the fence and joining and trying to make their way in once they're in, uh, very great point. Exactly. And if the other teams hire you, they have a vested interest in setting you up for success because they were part of your hiring process. So when you come in, they go, I hired this person. I should probably make sure that he, she, or they feel welcome into my team and be part of conversations. Very nice. I see we're running up on time. So I want to save uh, time for two last questions. The first one is, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario that you join a new company and churn retention is not doing good at this company. And the CEO comes to you and says, Harini, we really need to turn things around. You're in charge, but we need to do it fast. We have 90 days. What do you do? But the trick is that you're not going to tell me that I'm going to speak to customers, understand the pain points, and then start there. You're going to just take something you've seen that's been effective in one of your past roles and run with that playbook blindly. So the question is, like, what would be one thing, strategy you'd want to implement uh, to see results fast when it comes to channel retention? Yeah, I think there are two parts. It's a good question. And I think we should all have that mock scenario. There are two parts that I would do coming in. Look at the top and look at the bottom. So I think you have to look at where you're not seeing usage, where you are seeing uh, dissat, where you are seeing likelihood propensity to churn or propensity to not engage and think more about them and reach out to those customers. But don't stop there. Look at the top. Look at what you're doing well. And I think that's something that most of us don't do. When we are in a problem, we tend to look at the worst case. But there, think about what is going well. So reach out to the folks that are excited about you, where you are seeing good usage, where you're seeing a good experience, where you're seeing good engagement and say, what are we doing well? And do more of it. Very nice. Yeah, and I, th- I totally agree with that point as well. It's something I learned early on when focusing on general retention is like, more often than not, we focus in the beginning when it's, oh, we need to fix this. It starts, okay, why are people churning? But uh, the counterintuitive thing is actually the right thing to do is really focusing on, okay, what is success like? Who's being successful? And then how can we make more people successful? So a great point there as well. Last question then for today. What's one thing that you know about churn and retention today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? <laughs> the one thing I wish I knew was, and I guess everything that I, how much I needed to do 
up the funnel early stage proactively to make sure that I was not having a churn and retention conversation. Really, if, if I consider those as metrics and terms that come into play when we don't do our job, Andrew, or when, when things don't work out for a customer, it's beyond when we don't do our jobs. Sometimes there is no product fit for a customer. So staying up further up the value chain, engaging with our product and sales stakeholders, influencing a product roadmap, influencing sales strategies and business strategies are things that I wish I knew from day one. Yeah, absolutely. I think the higher up the chain, the better and the earlier on in the customer's journey, the better. I think like activation, adoption, these are where the problems start and then they just get worse and worse as you progress through the customer's life cycle. So the more you can influence the earlier on, the more likely you are to keep around and it's like uh, prevention is better than churn. So yeah, I, <laughs> I love that. Nice. It's been a pleasure chatting today. Really enjoyed this time. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of or how can they keep up to speed with you? My LinkedIn profile is always a, is a good place to start. We are also heavily engaged. Uh, if you're in the US, TSIA and Gainsight are two conferences and communities that all customer success leaders should be part of. And I encourage you to participate, make your voice heard. The final thing I'll say is the role is still evolving. We are shaping the role, right? Business models are changing you have an opportunity to be have an active role to play in, in shaping customer success. So use your voice and use your work. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. It was fantastic and best of luck now going forward. Thank you, Andrew. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.